This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. This is Mental Health Moments, the podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers and sharing your stories. Brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Mental Health Moments, hosted by yours truly, Phil McCabe, and brought to you by 105.9 The Region. This podcast, in my view, is designed to share the stories of as many people as humanly possible and delve into what mental health means and how it impacts people in so many different ways. Now, obviously, the focus of this show is mental health, and this episode is no different. But following the news that came out of Kamloops, BC, where the bodies of 215 children were discovered in a mass grave, it became clear to me that from my position of white privilege, I couldn't really speak to the mental health impacts that that news might have on the Indigenous community. So I reached out, and I'm eternally grateful to be joined by Noden. Noden, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Phil. Okay, so let's just start out with, uh, let's tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, Noden Adijnikaz, Jijok and Nodem, Burley Falls and Donjaba. Miigwech Wendem for having me today. So that's just a introduction to me in my own language, saying, uh, hello, my name is Noden Webb. I'm from the Crane clan, and I'm from Burley Falls, and I'm thankful to be here with you guys today. Okay, so... Obviously, this this news that came out of Kamloops is is a travesty on global proportions. But as I said in my introduction, as a as a white male, I can't really speak to the the impact that this might have on the community. So can you try and put into words what kind of impact on one's mental health and the, the community as a whole that hearing about this mass grave has? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's really hard to put to words those kind of emotions. And every single one of us, we experience it deeper and for, you know, more personal reasons. But as a, as a whole, the entire community right now, we are very shook up by this. Um, it's, uh, it's hitting us really hard. And it's because <clears throat> something that we've known amongst ourselves for so long, and it's, it's just really shining a light on it now and it's making it real for a lot of other people too that may not have known so much about it i i have a way about me where i try and find a positive spin and obviously this is something that it's very difficult to find a positive spin but do you think that the this discovery kind of creates a sense of closure for those families or does this just open old wounds and and really make things worse for lack of a better expression um, I can't speak as to closure. Uh, I, I don't believe in, in some ways there will ever fully be closure for everything that was done. But as per positives, I think it's good that word is getting out about this, especially to those who have not known it. And um, in a lot of aspects, uh, it isn't exactly some of these individuals' fault for, for being ignorant to the things that have happened here because, you know, it's the government of Canada and everybody else is taken that out of the educational piece and it's hard you know they don't teach us these things growing up in school when they should be and I think a big positive to this is is awareness a lot of people are going to learn about this now and the power of social media and of word of mouth is that they can't keep us silent now and uh, they can't just sweep this under the rug they they used to be able to and uh, we're getting a lot of support we're getting a lot of 
people, non-Indigenous, Indigenous, uh, it's really, we can feel it. It's, a, it's an uprising and it's, it's us not accepting it anymore. We're not going to stand by, we're not going to stand idle and just let these things happen, let them just get swept under the rug. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I was thinking about it going into this interview. I was 27 years old when someone explained to me what a residential school is. And for contrast, I'm 29 now. So I, I think, like you said, this, hopefully this is an awakening. This creates a much bigger conversation because I, I felt guilty that as what I thought was a relatively well-educated person, that I had no idea that this existed and that I had to have a conversation with someone about, oh my goodness, this happened to these children and I knew nothing about it. Why did it happen like this? Right. And you know what? You're not alone in that, Phil. And I don't know how many people I've talked to. And again, I'm 28 of my age, you know, our age. And I'm the first time anybody's ever heard of a residential school. And these are well-educated individuals. Like, you know, they all walks of life are unaware of this. And it's simply because Canada is so shameful of their past that they've done crazy lengths to make sure they hide it. And I'm, I'm worried that they think that they can continue that. And it's becoming more and more evident every single day amongst our people that we are not going to allow that to happen. And um, I was thinking back again ahead of this interview, um, what uh, the PC leader Aaron O'Toole said in that leaked interview that he said they started out as a good idea. That is a sentiment that I've heard carried out by different people of that age range of that demographic that say, oh, well, they started as a good idea. Does that sentiment, does that statement have any bearing in your community? Because it just kind of seems like it's just words trying to deflect from what turned out to be just a god-awful scenario. Um, to be honest, it's a disgusting statement when I hear it, and it fills me full of rage instantly. I'm just going to tell you <laughs> that, yeah, that doesn't fly with us. It started out as a good idea. Yeah, okay then. Why, well, and what happened it's, you know, we'll just move on from that because I, I, I don't want to go down a, a path that gets you upset or anything. Now, um, switching back a little bit, you talked about how this is creating a much bigger conversation. I've seen across social media just in the past week, uh, people like George Strombolopoulos and Terry Hart, all these <laughs> public figures in the GTA in Ontario, in Canada, speak up about Canada being systemically racist, how this is not just an isolated incident especially on the heels of, uh, of what appeared to be a terrorist attack in London, Ontario. But do you think that this is a step in the right direction, that having these conversations is, in a way, leading to something better, leading to some kind of positive spin? I think that any support that we can get right now is great. And even just watching uh, some of the NHL hockey, I saw Ron McLean did a really good piece there. And I know that was well-respected and appreciated amongst myself and others and any sort of support from anybody of political power or of not right now goes a long ways. Okay. And uh, kind of a broad question, but perhaps you can answer it. Perhaps not. Where do we go from here? What's, what's the next step in your opinion to, to, 
I don't want to say resolving this, but that's the only expression I can think of at the moment. But what's the next step in your opinion? Uh, just thinking off the top of my head, I would say they need to investigate every single residential school um, in-depthly. Uh, and the church cannot be allowed to hold back any sort of documents, anything like that. It needs to be open book and they need to be investigated. And every single one of those children need to be honored and respected. Every single child matters. And this is only the beginning. These 215 that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just what they've found so far. We have no idea how many other burial sites they have hidden, documented, undocumented. What scares me the most is the thought of the undocumented residential schools, the ones that slipped through the cracks. For all we know, they could still be in operation. The last one closed in the late 90s. We were still alive, Phil. Mm-hmm. So... I, it needs to begin with continued investigation. It's, it, this isn't going to be a one incident investigation. It needs to continue. And from there, it needs to be proper methods and ways to support the people affected. Because this isn't just those kids that were affected. This is a generational trauma. This goes down to their parents, to their kids. It's not, it doesn't end at them. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you say that, too, because, you know, a lot of people, their their solution is just rip the Band-Aid off, get it over with. But for us to actually create some justice out of this, I think it has to be a slow, methodical burn that we, as you said, investigate every single school, track down every single child that was pulled from their home and put in these schools and really do them the justice they deserve and, and find out what happened, find out anything about them. So perhaps this is just so we can finally put it behind us and, and help those that went through it work through what happened as opposed to just, yeah, it sucked, but this person has this problem and all these what about isms that seem to come from a generation on social media. Yeah. Well, Noden, I appreciate your time. We've got a little bit of time left here. So at the end of my show, I always give the opportunity for my guests to, to share what they want someone to know uh, who might be struggling. So in this case, uh, I'll kind of pair it off a little bit. What would you like someone who's dealing with mental health struggles as a direct result of this news, as a, as a result of residential schools, what would you like them to know right now? I would just like to say, uh, stay strong. It's understandable to feel the things that you're feeling. Don't feel bad about that. We're all dealing with these traumas in, in different depths. And it's more personal for some than it is for others. And just to stay strong, because you should know you are not alone. We are all out here. There are more of us than you realize. And we are rising. I have seen an empowerment amongst our people now more than I've ever seen in my entire life. And I can tell you, I can see it in the streets. We have indigenous people driving, waving orange flags out their windows, war cries downtown. You know, every child matters. They're standing up and they're not going to just let this fly. It's not going to slip between the cracks. And we have young warriors who are here to protect those who don't have the strength 
for those who have been so deeply affected that they just can't bring themselves to stand up and fight. No, that's what we're here for. We're here for you. We're here for the children and we're here for our people and we're not going anywhere. There's so much to unpack from that. And I appreciate that you said it because, you know, I, as I said off the top, I don't think it would come across as appropriate if I, if I had attempted to say things like that. But Noden, if anyone wants to, to reach out to you and further this conversation, is there a way that they can get in touch with you? Yeah, that'd be fine. Uh, I believe Facebook would work. Okay. And uh, just one last question for you before I let you go. Anyone out there in general that's suffering through a mental health crisis, what would you want them to know? Just know that there are outlets to use in this time and to stay strong and know that you are not alone, that we are here too. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me, Noden. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Miigwech. If you would like to be a guest on the show or you just want to share your story, either publicly or anonymously, you can contact me at phil at 1059theregion.com or you can reach out to info at 1059theregion.com. Until then, I close with You Are Loved. This has been Mental Health Moments, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health concerns, contact a local agency near you. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to New Music on the Region, an interview-based podcast that showcases new music and provides industry insight. I'm your host, Christina Lavecchia, Music Director at 105.9 The Region. Whether it's a brand new talent or an established artist, we bring you conversations with performers from York Region and beyond. How am I supposed to choose between the two? There are two parts of me telling me two different things. Welcome to another episode of New Music on the Region podcast. This week, I'm joined by Yukon-based folk country singer and songwriter, Joey O'Neill. Joey is on the line with me now. Hi, Joey. How are you? Hi, Christina. At the current moment, I am doing well. It's warmer up here. The sun is out longer, which really helps after a super dark northern winter and I have some new things on the horizon so I feel like hope is restored. We actually started to reopen the province a bit this week. I'm a little excited about that so hopefully inching closer to some normalcy um, hopefully sometime this summer. Wow that's wonderful I didn't I didn't actually know that my family is in Ontario so uh, I look forward to seeing them one day as well in the not too distant future safety permitting. Do you have any family living with you in Yukon currently? Just me. I moved up here about eight or nine years ago from Toronto. And um, I found a cabin up here and a dog. And, um, you know, pre-pandemic, I was driving back and forth across the country uh, quite often just to uh, go on tour and see family. So it's been an adventure. This cabin is damned, freezing cold. And no amount of firewood would do. The only thing that'd bring the warm, loving hold is you.
I read that you were driving across the country on tour when the pandemic hit. And because your gigs were cancelled, you began doing virtual concerts from your camper. Oh, it's true. Yeah, I had actually just um, invested in a new tour vehicle, my other vehicle from 1989, this like beautiful Jeep Wagoneer with the wood paneling was like on its last legs. So uh, I really didn't want it to get stuck in the middle of like the country. So I did get this like lovely um, truck with a camper on it. And just as I was driving through the Ontarian border, it was like early mid-March. And of course, as everyone knows, Uh, how that (laughs) turned out for most musicians. Um, I just had to cancel all the shows. Luckily, I have family in Ontario, so I was able to stay somewhere. But um, yeah, eventually I drove back and, you know, needing money for gas, I would just play shows in my camper every night of the trip home. And um, it was super interesting to just be broadcasting for the first time, like experimenting with live stream in Walmart parking lots and trailer parks and the side of the road at gas stations, like um, just touring that way was very strange. But yeah, it really opened my eyes to like what is possible. And I think this goes for like a lot of industries and just events and gatherings. Like I think that we probably will be using virtual spaces a lot more moving forward, even after the pandemic, you know, just uh, promoting a show in one tiny town. And maybe if I'm lucky, five people show up, but uh, being able to invite the whole world is like, was a real game changer. And even if people weren't able to make it from town to town, they could always catch the next live stream show. So that was really interesting. Even um, just the way that we communicate with each other too, you know, has its downsides because you lose that in-person connection. But on the upside, like you were saying that you reach so many other communities and people that you regularly wouldn't have connected with. So it definitely, there is that plus. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think there was something to be said for like me driving across the country and taking people on an adventure with me, you know, in comparison of sitting in the living room at home and broadcasting from there, which could be great. But I think just the fact that I was in a different place every night really kind of helped make it more of like a tour in a way, even though it was just the same backdrop of the camper every night. How could I go through life with both my hands and not have you to hold on to, knowing I could have saved? Last year, you released your sophomore LP called Ever Ahead. Tell us about the release and what inspired it. The main inspiration was just driving across the country, um, like one to two times a year, and maybe not across the whole country, like just uh, from Econ to Ontario and back again um, with my dog and in our faulty car. Uh, Of course, there would always be something that would go wrong. I'd spend a lot of time in mechanic shops, and I'd spend a lot of time in veterinarian clinics across the country because my dog is just quite accident prone. It just felt like a constant keeping together and fixing things um, that maybe other people like would have been like, oh, just get a new car. And, you know, the amount of mechanics that laughed at me as I drove across the country in this vehicle that's the exact same age that I am was hilarious. Um, But we persevered. And uh, yeah, I just I wanted to write an album that was very much like the albums I was listening to at the time that sort of carried us through. So, you know, a lot of 1970s um, inspiration, maybe some like Jackson Brown, um, great driving records, uh, 
you know, Linda Ronstadt, some Harry Nelson in there, definitely a little quirky. Yeah, wanted to make like a storybook record of our journey. Was it recorded in Yukon? Um, actually, I recorded it in Toronto. There's a great studio called Baldwin Street Sound, and it's run by Aaron Goldstein, who is a fantastic producer and musician. He plays pedal steel on a lot of indie country records. And uh, yeah, I actually saw him for the first time in the Yukon. Just so funny that I had to go all the way to the Yukon to like make connections with people and then um, go back to Ontario to work with them. But uh, he was playing with Wanda Jackson's band actually during the Music Fest one year, which was pretty cool. Your latest single is called I Can't Keep Both. I'm under the spell I now know wild Yukon highways fairly well Though those boring Ontarian roads feel like so far apart I can't keep both Yeah, that's, uh, that's the name of that tune. Um, <laughs> I am a classic Libra and I really am always weighing out my options. It's very hard for me to decide anything at all. So um, with that amount of distance, it's like, you know, I'm packing, I'm unpacking, I'm missing out on things, I'm missing people, I'm feeling pretty spread thin a lot of the time and you know I have to acknowledge what a privilege it's been to live in two different places and be able to travel that often pre-pandemic of course Um, but yeah I think I'm a little stubborn as well so I'm gonna hold on to (laughs) both homes for a bit longer Um, I don't think I'm ready to choose so even though I say I can't keep both I'm really gonna gonna keep both (laughs) try it out a little longer yeah Yeah, so the video I released is um I was just filming during one of my drives with my camera from when I was a teenager so it's like a 2004 Sony Handycam on high eight videotape and uh just made a little video comparing both places and this like really pixelated footage We follow you on Instagram, and you recently posted your home, which is a beautiful log cabin in West Austin. And if you want to check it out, Joey's Instagram is Joey O'Neill. You announced that you're moving. So are you moving within the Yukon or? Yeah, it was sort of mysterious there. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't really announced much yet, but um, I'm actually only moving two cabins over. But uh, for me, even just getting out of that space, that's like a one and a half room cabin sort of like no doors in there well there's a door on the outside of course there's an outhouse there's a few windows it's made of birch log it's really beautiful but I've been renting it for like eight years and uh it just felt time to kind of move on the walls felt like they were closing in on me but just with all the things that a person accumulates um over the years so uh yeah I there was an opportunity to move a couple doors down and um, you know a lot of things I'm just physically walking them over and like carrying tables and like using a wheelbarrow to move my stuff so it's the same forest I'm living in I really haven't gone too far but it's bittersweet to leave a little place. Do you find that you get a lot of your music inspiration from the cabin or is it nature or is it relationships? Um, I suppose most of them would have to do with just like introspection after relationships are over um, or just being a alone on the road. Yeah, a lot of just reflection, solo time. I find it's hard for me to write songs while I'm experiencing something because I'm generally too emotional to want to 
you know, sit down and really get into it. So it's usually like upon reflection that I kind of look back and take stock of what I just went through. But yeah, the forest is definitely a beautiful place for that kind of thing. Um, It does feel sometimes like I'm in a self-imposed artist retreat, which I'm super lucky to do every day with my dog. And uh, yeah, even just being on tour or driving and having that alone time. um, I mean, I I will pick up a hitchhiker if, if it looks like they need a ride, but sometimes it's nice when I'm just on my own and uh, can make up a song. And are there any projects that you're currently working on that our listeners can look forward to? Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely trying to come up with a series of new music videos. So you can follow me for that new content. Um, trying to maybe think of some live stream concert series coming up. Um, I will be touring in the north, actually, um, where it's a little safer for now, I think, um, to Yellowknife for their Folk on the Rock Festival, uh, which is super exciting, and that's in mid-July. Will those be virtual or in person? Um, so the Yukon started to open up a bit more. Um, most of us are vaccinated up here, which is, like, very surreal and definitely not taking it for granted. Um, so there are some in-person shows in the Yukon, and um, the Folk on the Rocks Festival in NWT will be live as well. And I'll do a little quarantine before we play that festival there. But um, yeah, I will try to do some things on Instagram live coming up. But, you know, reception is always a little in and out in the forest, uh, which I learned the other night when I tried to do a cabin show. So I'll try to I don't know, maybe I have to hike up a mountain and then and then play a better <laughs> reception zone. Well, that would be a beautiful scenery, for sure. <laughs> that would, yeah. If listeners want to connect with you online and download your music, what's the best way they could do that? They can go to joeyoneal.com. That's J-O-E-Y-O-N-E-I-L.com. And uh, everything's sort of linked there. Or you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Joey O'Neill and on TikTok I'm the Joey O'Neill It was great speaking with you Joey we look forward to what's coming up next from you oh, Thanks so much Christina thanks for having me on Between the two There are two parts of me telling me two different things Please Don't make me choose Don't make me choose 
I'm so far apart I'm gonna break my heart I can't keep both Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.